Hi, welcome to The Halfling. I'm your host, Jaron Pack, and this is episode 18, Entish Tragedy, Sorrow, and Hope. We've spent the last few episodes going through everything there is to know about Ents. We covered the origin of the villain-turned-hero, Treebeard. We saw the Entish origin story morph into an important part of the Silmarillion creation story. We dug into the details about what Ents look like and how they live. Last time, we even broke down the different groups within Entish culture, including the Ents, the Entwives, Entings, and Huorns. This week, we're going to bring all of this together and tell the story of the Ents. And I'll warn you now, if you couldn't tell from the title of the episode, it's not a very uplifting tale. But that doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, like any good tale, it's chock full of epic events, scorched earth warfare, and plenty of unrequited arboreal romance. Alright, you ready? Let's get this thing rolling. After the Valar Yavanna asks for the Ents to be created, we don't hear much about their activities for quite a while. Presumably they're busy shepherding trees and tending to growing things for a really, really long time. In the first stage, we only hear about them once, when they help a group of elves defeat a roguish dwarven army. After that, the tree folk fade into anonymity for the rest of that age. It isn't until the second age that we finally see them come into the limelight a bit. Even then, though, it isn't the isolated Ents that we see much of, it's the Entwives. During the earlier struggles with Morgoth and the Elves, we're told that the Entwives migrate eastward from the Fangorn region. They cross the Great River Anduin, that's the river that the Fellowship of the Ring sails down in boats thousands of years later. Once they're on the other side of the water, they set up shop in the area just south of Mirkwood. This country is eventually referred to as the Brownlands, and if you think that's not a very Entish-sounding name, that's because it isn't. The Brownlands moniker comes later and after the events that we're actually about to hear. At first, though, the Entwives settle down and become very prosperous, tilling the earth, planting gardens, and generally improving the region. In fact, we're not just talking about a cute little decorative garden in your front lawn with some lawn gnomes here and there. Treebeard refers to things like fields of corn, you know, like full-scale agricultural stuff. At the time of this migration, the forests of Middle-earth are still sprawling, and Ents are able to easily visit the Entwives and the Entmaidens in their new horticultural haven. This is good because the Ents don't go with their mates to live in the Brownlands, that's a really important point. They stay behind and remain loyal to their wild forest lives. But the attraction is still there, so they visit from time to time. But this really distinct splitting up of their culture into two halves, the gardening half and the wild in the woods half, is what will define the rest of their history together. And not together, as I'm sure you can guess based off the fact that they're not together in The Lord of the Rings. But at this point, in the centuries after Morgoth's fall at the end of the First Age, there's a significant chunk of time where there isn't a primary villain directing events. Don't get me wrong, Sauron is still around, but he's in hiding at this point, and for a long time, too. So, life is hard, and there's certainly a lot of issues and things going on, but the world, including the Entish areas, is technically in relative peace, going into the Second Age. Now, that doesn't mean everyone is living comfortably, and men, in particular, tend to have a hard go of it. 
In fact, this is the part of the story where Tolkien famously condenses the human experience by simply stating that the lot of men was unhappy. But there's one area where they seem to catch a break, and it has to do with the Entwives. The author specifically mentions that many of the men in the areas around the Brownlands actually learn agricultural skills from the Entwives. This isn't just a passing experience either, like, here's how you plant a flower. The Entwives are so renowned for their ability to grow gardens and crops that they become greatly honored by men, all while the still legendary Ents remain tucked away in their hidden forest dwellings. So, on the one hand, you have Entwives, who are at the peak of their popularity and they're in the limelight in areas where men can see them. They literally are interacting with them. And then you have the Ents, who, even in this era where you can see Ents and Entwives, are still practically legendary just because of how hard it is to get to them in their homes deep in the forests. Now, as the age wears on, this idyllic situation for the Entwives slowly starts to shift, and I don't mean in a good way. Things start to change around them, and the forests begin to shrink, too. There isn't a single reason for this contraction of the woods, but if you piece together different parts of Tolkien's writings, it becomes clear that there's a lot of industrial kind of stuff going on. The Numenorians they start to settle on the shores of Middle-earth at this point. Now, this is a way to the west of what we're talking about, but still, they show up and start to cut down huge numbers of trees for their ships, their cities, and all their colonizing activity. Wars also take place, particularly between Sauron and the Elves and the Numenorians. and over the course of several centuries, these likely destroy a lot of the forests. Again, Tolkien doesn't definitively state a lot of this stuff, at least in the published texts, but he definitively talks about forests shrinking, and he definitively talks about the Ents and Entwives starting to lose their homes. So you put together the reasons for the forest shrinking, and the Ents losing their home, and you start to see this bigger picture. There are bigger events going on around them. It's not just that the forests are failing because of some bad weather or something. There's destruction and warfare, a lot of things, even colonization. There are things that are eating away at the trees and the gardens that they are tasked to protect. Now, during this time, for a while, the Ents continue to stay safely tucked away in their downsized woodland homes, and the Entwives keep tending their gardens. But the physical gap between the two groups starts to widen. They see each other less and less until finally there's a long break between their visits. The forests have shrunk down, and the gardens are way over there, and there's just too far of a commute for them to see each other often. And so they finally have a long break, particularly because there's some really intense fighting going on around them. This uncomfortable period ends when Sauron is confronted by the famous Last Alliance of Elves and Men, which we've now hit through the Elrond series, we've come across it in the Isildur series. Hopefully you're starting to get a good idea of how world-shaking that Last Alliance is. When we see it in the movies, you see this giant group of men and elves in Mordor fighting Sauron, but it starts up in the north, and they move from Lindon to Rivendell, and then down the Misty Mountains and over to Mordor, and they fight in front of Mordor, and there's so many ways that that alliance impacts the entire history of Middle-earth, and this is one of the side effects of that activity. The armies pass by Fangorn and the Brownlands on their way to Mordor where they fight a knockdown, drag-out war that lasts for years and ends, as we all know, with Sauron losing his ring. After all of the drama simmers down, 
The Ents decide that it's finally about time that they visited their better halves again. Treebeard specifically mentions a great desire and longing to visit his Ent Maiden girlfriend, Fimbrethil. So, he and some of his Ents gather up, leave Fangorn, and journey over to visit the gardens of the Entwives. Except, when they arrive, they find that the entire region is a wasteland. It's been turned into a desert, with everything burned and uprooted. Remember the whole Brownlands bit? Yeah, here's where the name comes from. Now, while the area is a worn-torn waste, there's no sign of the Entwives themselves. No corpses or trunks, I guess, or whatever you would find left behind. Not sure how to describe that. Anyway, there's no actual sign of what happened to the Entwives themselves. This leads the Ents to embark on an event formerly known as the Search of the Ents. Treebeard summarizes this by saying, quote, Long we called and long we searched, and we asked all folk that we met which way the Entwives had gone. Some said they had never seen them, and some said they had seen them walking away west, and some said east, and others south, but nowhere that we went could we find them. Our sorrow was very great, yet the wild wood called, and we returned to it. End quote. He goes on from there to explain that the Ents would band together and head out searching for their Entwives over and over again for many years. They would walk all over the place, adding that they would call them by their beautiful names. It had to be a cool thing to see, these tall tree-like things humming and hooing their names. But the search was in vain. They couldn't discover the Entwives. They couldn't even find out what had happened to them or where they had gone. And eventually they grew tired and wandered less often, and not as far. I know that we're talking about fantastical living trees here, but the loss of the Entwives, and the unfulfilled potential of the Ents and the Entwives, is just one of the greatest tragedies of Middle-earth history. It always gets me. Once the Ents give up, they console themselves, not by writing songs or stories about their tragedy, but by simply chanting the names of their lost loved ones to themselves. See what I mean? I'm tearing up here. Now, the men and elves who witness the event, they have a bit more to say about the story. They write songs, and Treebeard even sings one of them to Merry and Pippin when they meet. While it's sad, it does hold out a slender thread of hope that the two halves of the Entish race will, one way or another, meet again at some point. In fact, this theme of their eventual reunion is brought up more than once throughout the text. And it's worth pointing out, like we already talked about in detail in the last episode, that Treebeard does ask Merry and Pippin if they've heard of Entwives in their homeland. And then there's the walking tree that Sam's cousin Halfast sees near the Shire. And the old forest that's full of Hoorns right next to the Shire too. There are still plenty of Entish things going on around Middle-earth, even at the end of the Third Age. So the hope that they would find the Entwives? That totally makes sense. Especially because the Ents live slow, long-term lives. They are in it for the long game. So the fact that Treebeard still asks about the Entwives, that's what's really telling. Thousands of years after they lose them, the old Ent is still hanging on to the hope that he'll see the Entwives, and especially Fimbrethil, again. Now, in the meantime, the Ents continue to live on, hidden in the forest. They become more and more of a legend, but not a local one. Like, they're not just known to the local squirrels and trees. Everyone around Middle-earth knows about the Ents and their long-lost Entwives. At least, all of the people who are older and immortal and have long memories. 
For instance, Legolas is well aware of the old stories of the Ents when he travels through Fangorn with Aragorn and Gimli. While the stories endure, though, the Ents fade from active history. They don't get involved in anything again, as far as we know, until Merry and Pippin stumble on the old tree herder in the Two Towers. This is the point that we're all familiar with, right? The Ents decide to attack Saruman at Isengard. They rouse a bunch of their Huorns and go on the offensive. This stops the wizard dead in his tracks and frees up the Rohirrim to ride south and save Minas Tirith. But the Entish role in the War of the Ring doesn't stop there. There's one more part that the Ents play on the periphery of the story. You don't see this in the movies, and you actually don't even see this in the books, but it is referenced and briefly summarized. During the war in Gondor, the area next to Isengard is invaded again, this time by some of the Dark Lord Sauron's soldiers. So Saruman is cooped up in his tower, he's gone, for those of you who have only watched the movies, he does not die, he actually is released at some point by Treebeard, and there's a whole bunch of stuff there. But this time, this extra invasion is from the Dark Lord Sauron's soldiers. Treebeard explains these invaders after the fact by saying, and I've got to give you this one verbatim, here we go, quote, For there was a great inrush of those Burarum, those evil-eyed, black-handed, bow-legged, flint-hearted, claw-fingered, foul-bellied, bloodthirsty, mori-mighty, sinka-honda, whom, well... Since you are hasty folk, and their full name is as long as years of torment, those vermin of orcs. End quote. And yes, that entire thing has hyphens in between it and is a single word. After exclaiming this utterly entish, adjective-filled expletive, Treebeard adds that the invading orcs come over the Great River and down from the northern lands of Middle-earth and attack both Lothlorien and the area around Fangorn and eastern Rohan. While Galadriel and Celeborn's people take care of business in their own realm, the Ents step up to the plate to protect the temporarily undermanned lands of Rohan further south. The Ents surprise the invading orcs, who had never heard of them before, and most of them are killed by the Ents or drowned trying to swim the nearby Great River. While we don't see this happen in real time, it doesn't change the fact that it's a really big deal. If the ants don't stop this army, either Rohan would have been pillaged during the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, or, possibly, Theoden and his riders would have had to turn back and defend their homeland, failing to save Minas Tirith in the process. While this second opinion is possible, it's more likely that Rohan would have just been ransacked while the Rohirrim focused on the much bigger threat attacking Gondor. Why do I say that? Because as the riders of Rohan are racing toward Gondor at the top speed, in the Return of the King, it says, quote, And as they rode, rumor came of war in the north. Lone men, riding wild, brought word of foes assailing their east borders, of orc hosts marching on the wold of Rohan. End quote. That's the invading army that the Ents destroy. At the moment, though, Aomer tells his men to ride on, and that it's too late to turn aside. After all of this drama, the Ents focus on rebuilding, or, I guess, replanting. When the War of the Ring ends, they turn Isengard into a garden called the Treegarth of Orthanc. When Aragorn, Gandalf, Galadriel, and the rest of their friends visit on their long journey home from battle and war, the new king of Gondor gives the area to the Ents and encourages them to expand their new realm back into western regions where forests used to grow. 
But Treebeard sadly says that the forests may keep growing, but his people won't, due to the lack of Entings that we've already discussed. When Aragorn points out that they can resume their search for the Entwives now, away to the east, since Sauron is destroyed, Treebeard just shakes his head and says, quote, It is far to go, and there are too many men there in these days. End quote. It's the reply of an individual who is worn down by the cares of a very, very long life. As a final note on the Entwives, I'm sad to say that there's a good chance that Treebeard was wise to give up the hopeless search. See, in a letter in 1954, Tolkien was asked about the Entwives. As he does with most things in his world, he doesn't give us a straight-up answer. Instead, he approaches the issue as something that he himself hasn't heard a good answer about yet. You know, as if he's hearing about real historical events from some third-party source out there. In spite of the hesitation, though, he does say that he thinks the Entwives had disappeared for good, adding that they were probably destroyed in their gardens when Sauron adopted a scorched-earth policy during the War of the Last Alliance. But he does mention that a few of the Entwives might have survived the catastrophe and escaped into the east of the continent. Even if that happened, though, he adds the somber afterthought that perhaps some were captured and enslaved by the Dark Lord himself, working the agricultural fields that helped feed Sauron's armies. All in all, it's a very depressing report from the creator of the world himself. For all the tragedy, though, there is a slight glimmer of hope in the Entwife narrative that makes it to the end of the story. First, Tolkien points out that the Entwives absolutely survived in spirit through the agricultural information that they taught to men. On top of that, there's the fact that the Ents themselves have a belief that they'll meet their other halves in a later time to come. Treebeard specifically says, quote, We believe that we may meet again in a time to come, and perhaps we shall find somewhere a land where we can live together and both be content. But it is foreboded that that will only be when we have both lost all that we now have. End quote. The last line of the Elvish song that he sings to Marion Pippin also mentions this concept. It says, quote, Together we will take the road that leads into the west, and far away we'll find a land where both our hearts may rest. End quote. When Treebeard says goodbye to Galadriel in The Return of the King, the Lady of Lorien also prophesies of a future time when she will meet Treebeard. She says, quote, Not in Middle-earth, nor until the lands that lie under the waves are lifted up again. Then, in the willow meads of Tassaranen, we may meet in the spring. Farewell. End quote. The last time we see Treebeard is when he says goodbye to Merry and Pippin for the last time. And even here, we get one final glimpse of the long-enduring hope that his people will once again be whole. After sharing a final Ent draft together and warning the hobbits to take care of themselves, he says goodbye, adding the final line that, quote, And don't forget that if you hear any news of the Entwives in your land, you will send word to me. End quote. After that, he waves to the group and walks into the trees, taking the legendary tale of the Ents with him back into the wild woods. And that's it. That's the end of the Ents as far as we're concerned. Tolkien doesn't give us any more info about what happens to them after the War of the Ring, and since he doesn't clarify, we won't either. 
The last thing I want to say here is a bit about how the Ents represent Tolkien's well-known views about nature and the environment, and his antipathy toward industrialization. In his biography, it literally describes Treebeard as, quote, the being who was the ultimate expression of Tolkien's love and respect for trees, end quote. Throughout his life, Tolkien clearly demonstrated that he loved nature, and especially revered trees. They play many prominent roles in both his writing and his actual life. Treebeard's anger towards Saruman's industrial activities also seems to serve as a venting point for the old professor to rail against the modern destruction caused by technological advancement taking place in his lifetime. And yes, I put the word advancement in air quotes. While the environmental connection between the Ents and Tolkien's love of nature is easy to connect, though, I like to point out the other relatable itch that the Ents finally scratch for the old professor. I'm talking about Macbeth. See, in a letter written in June of 1955, Tolkien talks about how he discovered Ents as he wrote the story. As he explains, he says that he's grown to like them. At one point, he even adds that if he had to figure out where their inspiration came from, he would say that they are composed of three things, philology, literature, and life. After briefly breaking down the philological aspect of their name, he adds the punchy explanation that, quote, Their part in the story is due, I think, to my bitter disappointment and disgust from school days, with the shabby use made in Shakespeare of the coming of the great Burnham Wood to High Dunsinane Hill. I longed to devise a setting in which the trees might really march to war. End quote. I gotta say, discovering that the moving forest in Macbeth was just a bunch of men holding branches was a bitter disappointment for me too. I always have and always will prefer the Ents marching to war with their horns behind them. Hmm, hmm, that's it for now. Until next time, friends. This episode is brought to you by, well, me. And despite the fact that I've memorized whole chunks of Tolkien at this point, it still takes quite a bit of work to pull each of these together. There are also some recurring expenses that come with keeping the show on the air. So, if you're interested in helping, I set up a way to toss a few dollars toward covering costs. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash thehalfling. That's buymeacoffee.com slash thehalfling. If you make a donation, thank you very much. And either way, I hope you'll stick around for all the fun. All right, that's it for now. Until next time, friends.